0: week I'm going to continue talking about what I've talked about the last few weeks um, about how we navigate tough times or rough waters in our lives. Um, I know I've shared a little bit about some of the times in my life that have been more challenging than others. Um, I want to continue discussing that this week. Last week we talked about the importance of community in your life when you are going through challenging times um, and how community is, is truly meant to support, uplift, um, to bring us back and remind us that God is our supplier of all our needs, that he is our great comforter, he is our wonderful counselor, uh, and encourages us, uplifts us, it, it provides fun. It makes life more enjoyable when you have people to do life with. The Lord established the church. After Jesus left, and that's really what it was. It talks about in Acts chapter 2 that there wasn't anyone in their church that was in need. And that's what this place is. That's what this church is, is. It's a place that you can come and have community, build relationships, and have people that when you are going through tough times can be there to say, hey, how can we help? How can I help? How can I uplift you? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? And then also... Point you back to him. Yes. Hey, Jesus is your supplier. He's there for you. He's with you. So that was the first thing that we talked about. When you're navigating rough waters, having community is critical. This week, I'm going to dive in a little further. We're going to talk about the importance of this. When you're navigating rough waters, when you're going through tough times, the importance of being rooted and grounded in the word.
1: We've heard that a lot. For those
0: of you who have been in church for a long time, you've probably heard that. You need to know your word. You need to know your word. But it's more than that. Laura and I were talking before service. Being rooted and grounded in the word is when you go through tough times, what comes out of you first? Right? Is it the word? Or is it something else? And that's not to condemn anyone. We've all been there. But it's just it's, it's to get you thinking. So today, I really want to talk about what it looks like and some practical ways um, to navigate rough times. The first thing I want to talk about, though, and I was doing some reflecting as I was preparing for today. I felt like the Lord's maybe convicting me a little bit. Um, When you're going through tough times, something that's really easy to do is to sulk, (laughs) right? You get a bill that you weren't expecting. Uh, You know, you get a a determination from the doctor, whatever it is that you didn't like to hear. um, Whatever you get, bad news, whatever it is, it's really easy to just sulk. Been there, right? Maybe you get, maybe you're in a meeting with work, and your boss gives you some some pretty critical or harsh feedback, and you just want to sit and stew sit and stew like, ugh, I'm mad. I want to be mad. I want to stay mad. Sulking can feel good in the moment. It can feel good when you're just ugh. It can feel good. But that feeling good only lasts for a short amount of time. Because eventually, that sulking starts to take root. And then you just kind of stay in this perpetual ugh. Healing, right? The thing is, is your flesh likes to sulk. It does. It likes to feel sorry for itself. It does. And the enemy likes it when you sulk. Because, like we talked about last week, when you're going through tough times, the enemy tries any way to get into your life to start infiltrating your mind with things that don't line back up with the Word of God. And when you're sulking, you are vulnerable. You are vulnerable for the enemy to come and say, yeah, you should feel really sorry for yourself. That was awful. You should really be offended with that person. I can't, God must not love you because this is happening to you. Reminder, the enemy knows the Bible just like we do. <laughs> yep. Right? And sometimes he, when we're in those states of sulking, feeling sorry for ourselves... The enemy tries to use that as leverage to get into our thought pattern. All of us have been there. We have all had moments of sulking. You cannot deny that. All of us have it. All of us have those moments. It's how do we get out of them that's important. So truly, when we're in a tough situation, in one, in whatever way that is, if it's financial, if it's uh, physical, whatever it is, it doesn't benefit us to sit and sulk. It doesn't benefit, benefit us at all. Because truly that is just us believing the lies that the enemy is giving us. Right? So when we have those, the enemy's going to say, yeah, you're not good enough. Yeah, you must not have tithed enough. You must not have served enough. You must not have given enough. You must not have whatever enough. And then you start to go, maybe that's true. Maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe God's mad at me. And you sit there and you sit there. It's not good for us to sit there. A good example of that. You all know I have four kids. My four-year-old, he's real good at sulking. Real good. (laughs) And all of you, if you've had kids, maybe you have nieces or nephews, you know the age I'm talking about. <coughs> so Elijah, my four-year-old, he's gotten a lot better, praise God. But there was a period of time in Sharik and attest to this that you'd say, Elijah, we need you to go make your bed. And and I, I maybe I've said this before, it was instantly like, huh, like, I'm going to just stop. I'm gonna feel bad for myself, and I don't want to do it. And he would, you know know, as as four-year-olds do, right? That's age appropriate. It's what they do. And and now, we're starting to get to the point where we can pull him out of it. You can say, Elijah, it's okay. It's just going to take a couple minutes. And thankfully, he has older siblings that can encourage him. Uh, we have a mini community in our home, but he has older siblings. Come on, Elijah, let's go do it. And then it pulls him out of it. But for a long time, he would Man, you'd think it was the end of the world if you asked him to, to do whatever chore it was, whether it was a large or, or meaningless chore. He would stick out his bottom lip. He would cross his arms, yeah. right? He wanted to make sure that you knew he was not happy that you asked him to do something. And he was going to make that very apparent. So thankfully, we've never had the kids that like threw themselves on the ground. But you've all seen that at grocery stores. So, You know, child walks up to wants a candy bar or whatever. Parent says, No, you know, chaos ensues. We've never had that, but we've had, you know, he he likes to do that. Again, he's he's growing out of that. But it's hard. And we see that from a four-year-old go, wow. Oh, he's he's really having a hard time with that. Well, as adults, we do it too, but in our own way. (laughs) We might not stick out our bottom lip and cross our arms, but we do. We have moments that we feel sorry for ourselves when something happens that we don't like. Or when we're going through a tough situation. And I don't want, again, I don't want this to sound like I'm condemning anyone because all of us have been there. But what we do, we're not crossing our arms and sticking <coughs> on our bottom lip and pouting all day. But maybe we get irritated, frustrated, we lash out at others. You say things that you shouldn't have said because you're frustrated about the situation that you're in. You might also do the opposite, where you seclude yourself from others. You get offended by something that happens, or you get upset about something, and instead of going to people, you pull away, you step back. And ultimately, like we talked about last week, that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to get irritated, frustrated, lash out. He wants us to get offended. He wants us to be mad about the situation we're in. He wants us to seclude ourselves That's what he wants. So what can we do when those moods, those situations happen? Sulking and dwelling on it doesn't do us any good. So I want to point us back to what the Word says. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And we're going to look at a few examples of when we're in these situations, these tough situations, how we can not... Stay in them mentally and sulk, but really pull ourselves out of it. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in the New Living Translation, feel free to read it on the screen or to turn there in, in your own Bible. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Amplified is really good, and I love this verse in the Amplified. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, this age. And then it says, Fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals its, and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in in his sight for you. So we know that when we're going through tough times, the hardest part about that is the mental battle, right? We're going through a tough financial time. The financial aspect is hard. The worst part about it is the worry that goes with the financial battle, right? How am I going to afford this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to get out of this? Oh, look at our credit card bills. Oh, the mental battle that goes with that. It's so mental. And what does Paul say in Romans? Let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. Glory to God. Changing the way that you think. He's, he's saying, don't just get trapped in the customs, the behaviors of this world. Change the way you think. Get out of the mental battle that is trying to hold you into this tough situation. Again, those situations are real. They happen. It'd be foolish for us not to acknowledge them. But it's how we respond to them that matters. It's our mental battle. It's how we respond to those tough times that truly matters. Those tough situations are hard. Right? They're hard. But if we can get to the place where when we hit those roadblocks, we hit those tough moments, instead of going, how am I going to do this? We go, no, the word of God says, insert verse, whatever whatever is pertaining to your situation. No, I know God says this. I know I need to change the way I think about the situation and see myself come through it. Renewing your mind continually is how we combat the battle the enemy is trying to throw at us. It's a continual thing. It's renewing your mind, and then five minutes later, renewing your mind, and renewing your mind over and over and over again. So every single time the dart is thrown at you, when you're walking through those tough times, you go, No, I'm not going to receive the uh, No, uh uh-uh. I'm renewing my mind. I'm thinking on the good things. Being filled with the Spirit, we know that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. So instead of thinking on the negative, remind yourself of what the Word says about you. Allow the, the Holy Spirit inside you to remind you of your identity in Christ, to remind you of who who the, the Word says you, who you are. Just a few examples. Genesis 1.27 you were created in the image of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation in Christ. Jeremiah 29.11, you have plans to prosper, to have a future and a hope. John 15.15, 15, you are friends with God. 1 John 3.1-3, we are all children of God. Psalm 139.14, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Those are just a few examples of what the Bible <clears throat> says, who we are. So the word tells us we're not to take what the enemy says that we are, that we're not good enough, that it's punishment from God that we're going through this situation. What we're going through is is a circumstance of living in a broken world. We are sanctified through Christ. We live purposeful lives because of our relationship with him. But that doesn't mean that we won't face hardships in this life. And ultimately, the enemy wants to try and use those hard times <clears throat> to get us mentally in a bad place to derail us off the plan that God has placed us on. But being rooted and grounded in the Word will help sustain us when those tough times come. Amen. We're going to turn to Second Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 5. So go ahead and turn there. It'll also be up on the screen if... That is easier for you. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The Amplified says, Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings, And every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ. So when those thoughts come, we can say, absolutely not. We take those thoughts captive. It's like putting it in a jail, right? You've got a bunch of jail cells in your brain. No, you're going in, I'm taking it. That's not, not taking that for what it says. The mental battle when you're going through hard times is the hardest. The hardest. I remember Ruby was three months old, our second child, and we didn't. didn't realize how easy of a baby Graham was. <laughs> he woke up in the middle of the night, but when he would wake up, he would eat and go right back to sleep. Well, Ruby woke up. Uh, she was born screaming. It, yes. Stop. Not not like no, not, a, not like a, a, it was like. Here I am, world. I'm here. And very quickly, Sheree and I realized, whoa, this is a different experience than we had experienced with Graham. And she just let us have it the first six months. In fact, Sheree and I don't really remember those six months because they were Exhausting. sleepless nights where you know, you're literally holding a screaming child, bouncing them for two hours, trying them to get them to sleep and they'd finally get to sleep, you'd lay them down in the crib and pack and plate. you'd be like, oh, there's yeah. so many moments that I go to work and I'm like, well, I, I, what day is it? I don't, you just lost. And the <clears throat> mental battle that took on Sheree and I and our relationship and just everything outside of survival was probably the hardest part, you were exhausted. And because you were exhausted, you lashed out at the other person. Yeah. You don't take the baby enough at night. I'm sorry, I'm not having. So I'd, I, you know, I would say that true like, it's your turn take the child. And then she'd be like, I'm, I didn't even sleep at all because all she was doing is it was so hard. But it was truly the mental battle that went with it. All the thoughts that came, every issue that came up, was amplified yep. because you were tired. You were frustrated. You didn't know what you could do to help your child, right? Call grandma. <laughs> Call grandma. Thankfully, grandma. we had grandma that could come over and, and <laughs> magically do her grandma thing and get her to sleep. we're like, what You're did a, you do? <laughs> because you were frustrated. Uh, it was frustrated, yes. you yes. picked up on uh-huh. that. Yep. Yeah. Kids, are, they get it. They know. Ruby is a sweet girl now, thankfully. But the first few months were hard, and it was the mental battle that went with it that made it even harder. I don't know how, how many of you have ever lost your job or had to change jobs, or maybe you got laid off from your job. The mental battle after that happens is hard. Going, how am I going to pay my mortgage, God? How am I going to do this? Like, I need a job. It, it's hard. It's really hard really hard but it's constant renewing your mind and taking every thought captive that comes that doesn't line up with what the word of God says about you we talked about a few of those so I want to take you through an example as I kind of shift gears here a little bit I want to tell you a story about my time in high school I know I shared a little bit about that so I want to tell a story about the time I was in 11th grade and had to take chemistry Science wasn't my strong suit, Chris, I'm sorry. Uh, especially chemistry. I didn't mind biology. Chemistry was it was up here. Yeah. And I had a science teacher, his name was Mr. Olson, who was this big, tall guy, and he had this deep voice, kind of talked like this. Uh, truly respected him, but he was, in, he was kind of an intimidating teacher. And I, like I said, I did not like chemistry. I didn't want to learn chemistry. I had to take chemistry. And as the semester is going on, I'm getting a not great grade in chemistry. And parent-teacher conferences come along. And my mom goes. And she's like, Mr. Olsen, like, what's going on with Adam? Like, I got good grades in school. I was an A student. If I got a B plus, I was disappointed. But I was getting like a C or C minus in chemistry. So she goes and she meets with him. And he's like, well, is Adam reading the book? she go, I don't know, because we had chemistry textbooks. And my mom came home and she said, I pair parent-teacher, all your teachers said great, but Mr. Olson asked me the question, are you reading the textbook? Yeah, you know, sort of, you know, I, I read it when I have time. I had a lot of time when I was in high school. Uh, I, you know, I read it when I can. And he told my mom, if Adam wants to do well in this class, he needs to read the book because a majority of his quizzes and exams came out of the textbook. Not out of what he taught in class, but they came out of the textbook. My mom comes back with that, we talk about it, I start reading the textbook. Guess what happens? (laughs) My grade starts to improve. You know why? Because I started to read the book. I started to understand the concepts that went with what I was learning in the book. It's a novel idea. I still ended up. I think I got a B minus in class, which I'll take it. I had to take chemistry again in college, and it was about as fun of an experience as it was in high school. <laughs> um, but it was such a profound moment when he was. He would literally walk in, and after this conversation, I went and I, I talked to him. Okay, Mr. Olson, <coughs> and I'm not doing well. I'm gonna start reading the textbook, and my grades started improving. He would use that as an example. He'd say, "Glass, if you're struggling, Mr. Verks, what do we need to do?" And I'd say, "I need to read the book." That's right, we need to read the book. Mm-hmm. Listen to Mr. Burks, you, you need know. to read the book. Yes. <laughs> the thing is, is this is our textbook, guys. Amen. It's our textbook, it gives us all of the answers. Yep. Amen. When we start having challenging situations that arise in our life, just like we, I had challenging problems to answer on my exams in high school, if I didn't read the textbook, I didn't understand. This is our textbook. It gives us those answers. We can look to it when we're going through those tough times. The tricky thing is, and and sometimes people say, well, this is confusing. This was written 2,000 years ago. How can I apply what this says to this very specific granular situation? bet if you ask the Lord to show you, he will point you exactly where you need to go in the Bible. Because the word is alive. It's living, breathing. It's for today. It's not just an old book. We need to use it when we're going through tough situations. We need to use it. We need to know. It already has all the answers. It's the answer key. Right? Maybe you had a a, a kid that was in your class that tried to steal the answer keys for big, big exams. That ever happened, Chris? Sure did. It sure did, right? (laughs) We didn't want to study. Stole the answer key. This is our answer key. God's given us all the answers to our problems in life. We just have to use it. We have to use it. When those tough situations come, are we opening it up? Are we going, God, I know this is hard. Show me in your word. What I need to look. Amen. Yeah, yeah, Show me in your word what I need to read. And sometimes it's as simple as reading about who you are and who God is, and understanding that those situations already have answers provided for them. So when the waves crash up against you, turn to the word. And I want to start to close and, and, but look at a very specific passage of scripture. Many of you know this. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Oh yes. Matthew chapter 7. It's a very prominent story that you probably learned in children's or children's church or Sunday school when you were a child. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. <clears throat> verse 24. Everybody on the screen, so feel free to follow along there. I'm going to read here out of the New Living Translation. It says, "Therefore, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We need a foundation built and established on the rock. Built on what this book, the Word of God, says about us. So when those rough waters come, they don't phase us. I think the thing is, Again, like I mentioned, we need to acknowledge that it's happening. Laura and I were talking about that before service, too. We need to acknowledge that there are things that happen in this life that aren't very fun, that are hard. (laughs) They are tough. (laughs) Right? They're not something that we want to go through. And I think at times we can put the blinders on and go, no, that's not happening. Uh, Nope, I don't want to believe that. But then it catches you off guard. Then you're not being real. Again, I think it's it's how you respond in those situations that matters. Not that they come. Jesus talks about rough waters coming, the waves coming and crashing up against you. It's how you respond. You flee and go, oh, I don't know what to do, and let everything No, you stand firm because your foundation is built on a rock. Amen. And sometimes Christians can get a bad rap for this. Where we put blinders on and we go, Whoa, I can't see. I don't want to see what's happening around me. I don't, want, I don't know. It's okay to acknowledge it. Because once you acknowledge it, you know how to attack it. Amen. Once you acknowledge what's happening, you know what truth you can stand on. You know how the word is coming against you. That's not, that doesn't mean that you receive it. It doesn't mean, but once you've gone and you saying man, this is hard. This hurts. I went through this. This doesn't feel good. But what does the Bible say about this? How do I respond? The world that we live in has challenges. We all know that. We can see that happening. There was an earthquake recently that killed 20, 20, over 20,000 people overseas. That happened. It'd be foolish for us to not acknowledge that it happened how do we respond? I heard a story about somebody who was not necessarily involved in the earthquake, but donated $30 million to aid those that were impacted by that. How did he respond? Again, he didn't lose his home, but he saw a need and he met it. We talked about community last week. When you see a need, you meet it. So it's how you respond. The word is filled with truth. That's what it is. So your first instinct when you're going through tough times should be to open this. Should be to go, what does my instruction manual say about this? Our kids love Legos. I promise this is going somewhere. They love Legos. And Graham, as he's gotten older, has gotten these larger and larger and larger Lego sets. So big that they have an instruction instruction manual that takes you literally step by step to put it together. Take this colored piece and add it to this. And eventually you'll get done, and it's this cool ship or truck or whatever it is. But if you don't follow the instruction manual, and you just try to put it together, you're going to be real frustrated because the instruction manual is sent and given to provide instruction on how to do what you're doing. Don't you think that's why God gave us this? To give us instruction on how to live our life because we can pick up our word and go, okay, God, this is a really hard situation. I've got a hard problem. I've already given you the instruction manual. This is how you fix it. This is how you move forward. This is how you get past it. This is how you put the pieces back together. Because he doesn't ever leave us or forsake us. He's not going to put us in this world without giving us a way to solve the problems that are in this world. And I think ultimately what it boils down to, most of us have a Bible. If you don't have one, if you don't have a hard copy Bible, an instruction manual... Let us know we are happy to get you a Bible. Amen. But the thing is, and I talk about time often, but you don't know this by being a casual Christian. Yep. Right. Amen. You don't know the word. It's not rooted in you, deep within you, if you only pick it up on Sunday mornings for 10 minutes. Amen. You have to be spending the time studying. It's no different than my chemistry example. I had the textbook. I could have read the first paragraph of a chapter and said, okay, I'm good. Maybe there were a few questions in that chapter that I could have gotten right, but I still probably would have flunked the test. I needed to study it, and I needed to study it often. We can't be casual Christians. The world we live in is dark. And we can't just be going about our walk with God casually. We need to be pursuing him because Jesus didn't die a casual death. He died a very public, very terrible, ugly, gross death. He got spat on. He got whipped, beaten, bruised. There's nothing about that that's casual. (coughs) Nothing. Nothing he did was casual. He made it look cool. He made it look simple. Turning water into wine, that looked pretty simple. None of it was casual. Healing people, responding in the way that he did. Everything was done with a purpose, with an intent. Nothing was ever done casually. And we need to start looking at our walk with Christ and saying, when I'm in a tough situation, do I have the word in me? Am I spending the time with the Lord? Because it's not just reading it and understanding it. It's reading it, understanding it, digesting it, applying it, putting it to work. And I'm not talking about work in the way that we talk about work in church. I'm saying when you're in a tough situation and something bad is happening to you, you say, God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind because you know deep down in your heart that his precepts are true and what he says about your situation is true. Amen. Because it's so much a part of you, and your walk with God is so much a part of you that no matter Amen. what comes up against you, you're not shaken. Amen. Right. You're, you laugh about it. Amen. You go, huh, nice try. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just can't wait to see how the Lord is going to bless me out of this. Glory. Bless me with new friendships. Bless me with new relationships, with more finances. So I want to encourage you today, don't think about this casually. Whatever that looks like for you, be intentional about the time that you spend reading this book. It unlocks so much in your life. And I think as you read it, and as you study it, and as you get to know more about it, and as you just let it infiltrate every part of you, the words become alive. They start popping out of the page. And you'll be reading something and go, I've read that 10 times, and I just read it the 11th time, and whoa, yeah. Yeah.
1: whoa! Oh, that's good. Right.
0: Because that's what the word is. The Holy Spirit uses us to instruct us in our lives. So take the time. Take the time. Yeah. We all live busy lives, Right? Sometimes I look at our calendar with our kids and with work and with other commitments and I go, where is their the time? But it's how you spend your time. Are you being intentional yes. with your time? Are you putting forth the time in the right places? Yep. There's a lot of things in this life that are good. There are a lot of really good things. And that's not to say, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Outside of your working job, whatever it is, that you need to be just reading the Bible the rest of the day. That's not realistic. It'd be great if we could do that. But we have other commitments that we do also have to maintain. But if you aren't waking up every day going, what are you going to show me today, Lord? What are you going to show me today? What new revelation are you going to give me today? In your word, I would challenge you Start asking God for that. Start asking him to say, Lord, I want to read your word. I want to study your word. I'm asking for new revelation that I can apply to my life. And watch how he starts to do it. Some of the conversations we've had on Thursday nights, like Steve has said, are so impactful because it's so cool to me to see how all of us read the same chapter in the Bible. And all of us are revealed different things from the Holy Spirit. Because that's what it is. He uses this book in a way that you can personally apply it to your life. So when you're going through tough times, when you're going through rough waters, go here first. Go to your instruction manual. Go to your instruction manual. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.